Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Alien. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the deck of the Nostromo, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Signing on. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. And joining us again for her fourth time here at the Three Guys, this is Jill. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been a long time. What was the last like. one you did? Um, it was... Red Dawn. Uh, what? Nope. Big China. Yeah. Big, big, big trouble in Little China. Yeah. Before that, it was Red Dawn. It was Red Dawn. And, and before, before that, that, it was Galaxy Quest? It was. I feel like there was another one in there, but... No. Nope. Which I would like to point out. Galaxy Quest is one of our most downloaded podcasts. Well, thank you for pointing that out. Do you feel better about yourself? Kinda good. That's it, what I, it's all about. Positivity tonight, guys. Yeah, I feel it was your best because I'm assuming it goes like Galaxy Galaxy Quest, and then like uh, Big Trouble in Little China would be the second best, and then solid probably, choices. Probably um, Red Dawn would be the third. You mean the best of the three guys? Uh, yeah. Oh and yeah. Then no, the fourth I, one will probably be this one. I don't know why. I get this weird, weird feeling about that. Well, it's funny that you say that because uh-huh. tonight we are talking about Alien, which comes to us from Jill. Yeah. So I gotta ask, why Alien? Uh, I saw it on TV, and I guess being on this podcast, sometimes I look at movies maybe a little differently than I used to. But watching it and really kind of seeing what's going on in the background or the lighting or the sounds or what you see or don't see. And I thought, you know, this one would be a pretty good one to put in there. So that's what I did. Uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. Did you see it when it came out? I did not. No? I didn't. I was only nine. Okay. So well, I, my sister did, and, and I still remember this. I didn't go see it, but it was playing in Renton. And she, my sister is like four years older than me. So like 13, 14. And she went with a bunch of her friends. And since I believe it was rated R, uh, a parent. And we went to go pick her up. And she was about as white as a sheet. And my mom goes, how's the movie? And she was just like, I was so scared. And she was almost half crying. And that freaked me out enough to go, I think I'm going to stay away from that movie for a while. I fucking love that. I love that. I love that uh, movies have that effect on people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, I myself did not see this in the theater because well i was four um but in 1986 when aliens came out we took my brother to college and we had a night free so my other brother and my mom and dad we went to go see aliens and i'm in the sixth grade and i remember thinking as the movie opens and we see the craft coming at us i kept saying to myself literally it's only a movie 
It's only a movie. Aliens changed my fucking life, right? Yeah. And then to find out there was a movie fucking before it? <laughs> so, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I saw Aliens first, which led me back to Alien, but, you know, still the appreciation yeah. there. Yeah. What about you? I saw it on VHS, and it was after I had... I'm guessing it was after I saw Aliens. I think I'm confident that I saw Aliens first and it totally kicked me in the balls. That was an awesome movie. Yeah. And I have to say, I still think Aliens is a better movie than Alien. Uh, we're going to get into that a little later. What about you? For me, I was basically raised by Blockbuster. Uh, my parents every weekend would just take me to Blockbuster and let me pick out whatever movie I wanted to watch. Didn't matter the rating. Didn't matter if it was a horror movie, scary, whatever. So... Pretty early on, I saw Alien. And then when I heard there was going to be a sequel, I kept thinking, one alien was scary enough. I couldn't imagine there being a sequel with multiple of them. And I was so excited for Ripley to come back. So I just remember that euphoria of just being able to go from that to seeing you know, aliens. Oh, absolutely. Alien is, to me, the best of both worlds, right? It's Jaws meets Star Wars. That alone, fuck, take my money. Right. But then to see the movie itself and to experience it and see what Ridley Scott could do, especially in 1979, especially all practical. I mean, it's fucking amazing if you go back and watch it. Did you know there was a high school in New Jersey, I believe, and they put on a full on play, a school play, a full on production of Alien? I believe it. That's awesome. And Sigourney Weaver came and showed her love. You know what would have made it better? What? If it was a musical. Uh, I, was it? it might have been. I don't know. It, look it up on the interwebs. It, it's ago out there. Was that? Two remember? years, three years? I think I it's remember very, reading something about, especially when you mentioned that Sigourney Weaver went and, yeah. 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 Weird. Do you know what uh, Ridley Scott said was the influences for this movie? Uh, I'm sure I've probably heard it, but why don't you go ahead and refresh me? Uh, he said he got the influences for the movie from Star Wars A New Hope. 2001 Space Odyssey, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. He said he wanted to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. And oh, I mean, yeah. that pitch, you know, alone, yeah. Yeah. right? And if you think about, you know, since we, we did a previous show on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I keep imagining, you know, remembering the kind of the corridors and the way that we kind of navigate around the tension of, is anything going to jump out? And when's it going to jump out? It definitely reminds me of Alien. Released on May 25th, 1979, Alien was directed by Sir Ridley Scott. The screenplay by Dan O'Bannon. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. And it stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Yafet Kodo, Balaje Beto, and a bunch of other... There's not a bunch of other actors. That's the entire cast. That's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> and one other actor. And one other actor. Well, the, cat, the cat's not listed. Uh, you know what? That fuck that cat. Okay, I'm just going to say this right fucking now. All right, fuck that cat. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $11 million, and it brought in $185 million. Not too shabby, especially since uh, at the end of the movie, I think it was originally they made it for like 4 or $5 million. But then Ridley Scott wanted to extend it out and add that extra at the end. And he, had, he got like another $4 million, I think, for it. Yeah. It did well in the box office, too. It, you know, this is, we're talking about a horror movie. And so 
for the uh, first three weeks, it debuted at number one. Wow. So that was pretty impressive. And then in the fourth week, it was knocked out of number one by, what do you think? In 1979? Summer 1979. Was it, it wasn't Empire. Empire was 80. Not yet. Uh-uh. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Escape from New York? Uh-uh. Um, summer of 1979. It wasn't Rocky. Rocky 2. Rocky uh, 2, bitches. Nice. Um, Rocky 2 is actually, I think, borderline my favorite. Oh, it's such a sweet movie. Yeah. Another topic for another time. So let's talk about Ridley Scott, right? He go he he does Alien. He goes on to do Blade Runner and then uh, messes around in some uh, video work. And then he does Legend. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he does Thelma and Louise in, uh, what was that, 91? And then his next big break, I think, was Gladiator in 2000. And then after Gladiator, the next big one is Black Hawk Down, and that's in 2001. Right. And right. then I think his last big one, his his best influential movie of that bunch of, of the laters is The Martian. And that's in, uh, what is that, 15? 2015, yeah. yeah. Yeah, The Martian is good. The Martian is good. He also even goes back to alien lore. And he does Prometheus and oh, yeah. Alien yes. Covenant. Yeah, he does all so, the alien stuff. Yeah. Here's yeah. an interesting fact that I didn't realize. Uh, Sir Ridley Scott did an interview where he revealed that Blade Runner and the Alien franchise exist in the same universe. Yeah, I heard that too. Oh, cool. So we could have, or we could eventually see a combination of those two stories. Nobody wants to see that. Well, let's just get this out in the open. Let's talk about Ridley Scott's movies. Do you like a Ridley Scott movie besides I, Alien? Oh, I love Ridley Scott. All right, what's your what's your Ridley Scott movie? Alien. Outside of Alien? Yeah. Um fucking uh Gladiator. Solid. I I like Prometheus. I like a, I like Prometheus. I like Alien Covenant. I like uh I like The Martian. The Martian was great. Robin Hood, I could probably take or leave. I I like Ridley Scott as a director, for sure. John, what about you? I was going to say Prometheus. Alien is number 1 for me. Uh, of a Ridley Scott movie, but I, I like Prometheus and, as you mentioned, uh, Alien Covenant. I bought like, that one as well. Um, the other ones, maybe not so much. I it, When you talk about Blade Runner, you got to talk about versions of Blade Runner. Like you're talking about the original, you're talking about the director's cut, you're talking about the extended director's cut. I'll, I'll save you the trouble. I'm talking about all of them. Yeah. and like, It's so fucking convoluted now, it's not any yeah. fun. And, and it was okay. They never needed to make a sequel for it. I don't know why they ever did. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Alien. Jill. Alien, but Black Hawk Down was really good. Oh, yeah. I like Black Hawk Down. Absolutely. Black Hawk Down's my top. Is it? it? Yeah, Yeah, and number two is Gladiator. Nice. Yeah, Yeah. that was also really good. Uh, Getting back to Alien, this film probably has the best tagline in cinematic history, in my opinion. In space, no one can hear you scream. And that was written by a copywriter just to... A simple thing she threw out. That's so brilliant. It's short, it's sweet, and the marketing for this, it was just the egg on the poster. Yep. With mm-hmm. the green glow. Yeah. yeah. What was the point of the green glow on the bottom of the egg? I don't know. You tell me. I could never figure that out. And they actually oh. used a real egg for that. It was uh, the 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. Disco. Yeah, I guess. Green glow on green eggs. Yeah. 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 Backlit. Jerry Goldsmith does the soundtrack. Fucking A. Pretty fucking solid, right? Yeah. I think this is one of my favorites of his. It's so subtle and so creepy at the same time. It's just, it's absolutely great. And then James Horner takes it and steps it up in the second one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there's still that essence of it. And so, yeah, Jerry Goldsmith is solid in my book. 
One, one of the things I just love about this movie is that they created, you know, we always talk about different horror icons, things like that. You can't see the xenomorph without I'm automatically relating it to aliens. You can't see a face hugger or one of the eggs without, you know, knowing exactly whether you've seen the movie or not, you know exactly where it came from. And it's, I love that they created this, this icon. It's one of the most recognizable images in the world. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. have Absolutely. To, you don't have to see the whole alien to even just kind of go, oh, I know what that is. Oh, yeah. 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 So this movie was nominated for a couple of awards, and it did win one. It was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Set Direction, but it did win an Oscar for Best Effects and Best Visual Effects. Watching it again, do you guys think it holds up? 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No way. Nope, you don't like it, huh? I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm saying it doesn't hold up. Oh, interesting. You're being serious. Yeah. Why, why doesn't it hold up? Well, um, for starters, there is a lot of shots of the exterior of the ship slowly moving through and taking a look at it from this angle, then taking a look at it from that angle. And then the ship, it's supposed to be more or less, I don't want to say a glorified dump truck, but more or less, it's hauling ore. So it should be a big, huge tub that holds ore. So why does it have all of these different shapes to it? And then what's all the stuff on the surface? It's like it's covered with all of these like things that we saw on the Star Wars Death Star, where it's all these battleship pieces that make up the surface. So you got tubes, and you've got these domes, and you've got these ridges, and then you've got all these different elevated buildings. What is all that stuff? Because this is just supposed to be hauling ore. So more or less, I feel like it should be looking kind of like the Jawa Transport, just a big, huge dump truck. Uh, Another thing that I think that, that doesn't necessarily hold up for this movie is that I see the alien so little, and I found myself not even flinching this time around when I watched it. I mean, it, it did, I, I, I didn't feel any sense of alarm at all. I, I, and I know that this is an iconic movie that makes people like, oh, shit, because this movie has two pivotal moments to it. Well, kind of sort of a third pivotal moment, but two pivotal moments that the entire story is built around. It's the face hugger and it's the chest bursting. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, they build tension. And why is the ship so dark? This is a big-ass ship. Why is so much of it in the dark? Could they not afford light bulbs for this ship? I don't get that. Two things that I read. Uh, One of them, and I don't think you get it from the opening shots or even, I don't even know if they even say it anywhere in the movie, but the size of the ship was actually supposed to be two ships. It's basically the, the Nostromo is a tugboat carrying another ship that also has ore in it. So it was supposed to be you have a small ship that's the Nostromo with this bigger ship in tow. And I never got that from the movie, but that's something I read by Ridley Scott. Uh, the other thing that you bring up that you don't see, you see the alien so little. And one of the things that, you know, from our previous show that I recognize and I really like about it is you mentioned Jaws in Space. And it's just like Jaws. Really, we only, and if you time it, the alien only shows up four minutes in the whole movie that mm-hmm. you actually see him. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is just tension built. Now, you brought up a great point of nothing scared you, nothing jumped in out. But for me, when I watch it, I remember back to the first time I saw it. And oh my God, I remember how much that scene scared me and how much this one I didn't expect and all that. So you're right. There's no tension when you know something's going to jump out. 
But it's just appreciating of the watching it and going back and feeling like that seven or eight year old that you when you first got to see the movie and how you felt back then, you know, those emotional scars all come boiling back up. Totally agree. Yeah. And if it was lit all the time, I don't think it would be very scary. Yeah. I took it as them being truckers in space and the aesthetic and the look is uh, like it was all pieced together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to look like a Naboo cruiser. You know, it's going to look like the fucking Millennium Falcon. They needed like fluorescent lighting that kind of blinked on and off kind of stuff. Well, we certainly had enough strobes. Why were there so many strobes going on in there? Yeah. There were a a lot of complaints from uh, like the side people during the making of this movie trying to question Ridley Scott. Like the scene where the chains are hanging down and the water's coming down. Nobody understood that why on a big, you know, professional commercial ship would they just have chains hanging in and all this water pouring down. I took it maybe it got some damage when it went down to the planet and that's what it was. I thought the Well the, that part didn't go down to the planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought the strobes were to help with getting the audience disoriented. Oh it did that. That yeah. was the point. Yeah. I yeah. thought I thought it was there just for a haunted house effect. Well also that. And, yeah. and then you know Brett drinking the water. Oh, he's drinking the water. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you drinking? Where's that water coming from? I was thinking that. Oh, too, well, hey, if you start if you start asking questions and trying to apply logic, this movie takes a nosedive really fast. So you're just gonna have to put that aside. Because I mean, does Kane even get back on the ship? Right? If you're there, do right. you let oh. Kane on? Oh hell no! no. Fuck oh. no! He no. stays out there and he goes into quarantine. Here's what happens: you put him in quarantine for 24 hours. The thing comes off. The uh, the chest burster comes out, and now you have the alien confined to that room until it grows up. But I mean, at least you know what you're dealing with. The two questions you have to ask yourself is that question is: Do you ever let the guy back on the ship? And the second question is: Do you go back for the fucking cat? Oh, like I said earlier, fuck that cat. Do you guys know what time it is? Uh uh-uh. uh Well, it would be trivia time. So the rules for our trivia is that please wait for me to read the entire question before you guys just throw out an answer. So let's start the trivia. And Jill, you are more than welcome to participate. Aww. Because I think you'll kick their ass. I don't think so. We'll just go with it, Jill. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. You'll kick our ass. Of course. Ripley is the main protagonist of Alien and its sequels. But can you name her duty station, I said duty, aboard the Nostromo? She's a warrant officer. I thought she was a science officer. No, warrant officer. She's a warrant officer. Warrant officer, or I would have also accepted as she referred to herself as the third officer. Which character said, I don't trust anybody? Dallas. My guess, too. Two for two for, for Dawn. Which character wore cowboy boots? Parker. Ken, you got one? Uh-uh. Jill? Uh, no. Lambert. Before the movie went into production, what was the proposed title of the film? Starbeast. Nice word. Starbeast? Yeah. Who was the Nostromo's first officer who also happened to be the one who found the alien eggs in the derelict ship? Kane. Kane. Go Ty. Which was the first crew member killed by the mature alien? Brett. Brett. Ash, the ship's officer, cobbled together a tracking device to help locate the mature alien. What did it key off of? Micro changes in In air. Air. Air Air density, but yeah. But they use the word micro. I know that. micro Micro changes in air density. Fucking nailed it. Last question. What is the name 
of the main computer for the ship. Mother. Mother. Well, I guess that goes to Don because I think he was the first one to say it. It goes to the guest. I'll give it to the guest. I, I'm, I, you are so easy. You're such a pushover. <laughs> yeah. That didn't Jeez. Take well, it's Jill. So. No. so what? Yeah. I don't give a but fuck. What? It's, it's fucking Jill. Uh, okay. Again, I don't give a fuck. Okay. Don just lost the point. Um, so <laughs> according to my scores, Don, you did win this round. Yeah. So if I've got everything correct, that makes it a tie. The commercial space tug Nostromo is returning to Earth with a seven-member crew in stasis. Captain Dallas, Executive Officer Kane. Warrant Officer Ripley, Navigator Lambert, Science Officer Ash, and Engineers Parker and Brett. Detecting a transmission from a nearby moon, the ship's computer, Mother, awakens the crew. Per company policy requiring any potential distress signal to be investigated, they land on the moon, despite Parker's protests, sustaining damage from its atmosphere and rocky landscape. The engineers stay on board for repairs, while Dallas, Kane, and Lambert investigate the terrain. They discover the signal originates from a derelict alien ship and enter it. Losing contact with the Nostromo, Ripley deciphers part of the transmission, determining it as a warning, but cannot relay the information to those on the derelict ship. So you kind of talked about uh, these long sweeping shots, right? Yeah. Well, this is, this opening is a very long sweeping shot. <laughs> Yeah, and it was giving us the layout of what we're going to have as the backdrop for a lot of the story. Right. So it, 90% of this film takes place on the Nostromo, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the first couple of minutes are us just kind of going in and out of the corridors. And, mm -hmm. you know, can you imagine in 1979 sitting in a the theater and watching this? Six mm -hmm. minutes of no dialogue. Yeah. I think it would be, I think that experience alone would be so awesome. You know what I mean? Um, because you don't know what to expect. You don't know right. what kind of movie this is going to jump out and be. So after the camera moves along, we're introduced to our characters via them in the stasis. Uh, would you guys think of uh, the introduction of the crew? I'd like to go back to the title card. Something oh so subtle in the title card is it gives us the layout of the name of the ship, the Nostromo, which is capitalized. But then the last thing that it says on it, it says, course, Returning to Earth, and Earth is in lowercase letters. It's not a proper noun capitalized. And so, subtly to me, what this told me was, this is nothing to do with Earth, and we're never going to see Earth, and this is all about the Nostromo. Oh, I didn't think we'd ever see Earth either. <laughs> that's, so. a, that's a great point, Professor. I never thought of it that way, is that you're right. It puts the main focus on the ship and not on where they're going. So the crew wakes up, and we are introduced to... Dallas, Kane, Ripley, Lambert, Parker, and Brett. Did you get the point of the way they were named in this movie? Ridley Scott purposely named all the characters with uh, non-gender specific names. He wanted the audience to get the feeling that didn't matter if they were male or female, they all had the same kind of credit in this film in that they could have been played by a male or female. And it really one of the things I really appreciate about this movie is that the female characters weren't treated like damsels in distress. They were created, treated like just another part of the crew. Wasn't Ripley supposed to be a guy? Yeah. Originally. Yeah. Was, well, they were all gender neutral. Right. And they were referred to by their last names. And there is a lot of back and forth hubbub about changing the names, not changing the names, and who's going to get what. And it just made it e easier for casting as well. And so during... Uh you know, this breakfast scene, uh, the dialogue is very uh, blue collar. You know, you have Parker and Brett uh, complaining about their shares and just very um, 
political, I guess you could say, or they're just, you know, uh, just talking regular shop. Did you catch uh, Kane's first line? Which is? I feel dead. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Parker looks at him and says, you look dead. Which is basically foreshadowing (laughs) for what happens to him. Is it basically foreshadowing or is it foreshadowing? Basically. (laughs) Well, I felt like that opening scene is like, hey, we're a family. Everything's happy. They have no idea what's coming. You as an audience kind of like, oh, but then you're like, something's obviously going to be coming at at them eventually. Right, so right. You kind of have to take a little bit of investment in them as a team before you can start feeling something if, you know, when and if they get killed. Right. And so I think that this dialogue does a lot of that. And at this moment in the film, you have no idea who your protagonist is. Right. You have no idea no. who the focus of the story is on. Mm-hmm. As of right now, it's all seven of these people. Yep. I felt like the whole point of this was to connect us with the characters before they introduce in you know, the big bad or whatever, oh. the alien. It's like to make us actually start caring for the feeling because, you know, we got a little bit of comedy. We got a little bit of, you know, it, little infighting, a little bit of, you know, everything. And just you start to grow attached to something. It absolutely was. It absolutely was. So, um, and then uh, mother calls and Dallas, Dallas answers. Yeah. What'd you guys think of this mother room? It was funky with all the blinking lights <laughs> everywhere. So 1980s. Oh, yeah. Right there. And, Professor, you talked about whether or not this movie holds up. That was one of the scenes that, you know, especially go, when they go around, they do all these things where it doesn't hold up. I mean, they're typing on <clears throat> they're typing on a keyboard. It looks like a TRS-80 or something. Well, that's what they had in 1979. I know, but I'm saying it didn't feel very futuristic, oh. us watching oh. it today. It seemed very like, why would they have a TRS-80 on a... You know, futuristic. Do you know what year that this movie is supposed to be taking place? 2125? No, 2037. 2037. It flashes on the screen a few times. Oh, so oh, just yeah, a couple right. of years from now. So what, 20 years before they get back to Earth? The the aliens reach Earth 20, 30 years from now? No. 40 years? No, she's in stasis for 57. Oh, we got to wait that long for the aliens to show up at Earth. Yeah. And they might not even show up because the third movie went a different direction. But for fuck's sakes. No, well, if you watch, she gets back to Earth, you know. No, she, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. And she you has, know what? We can have this conversation. We can have this conversation later, Professor. She doesn't. She dies on the monk planet or the prison planet. And I'm sorry, bud. I'm just as pissed off as you are. But that's not She's how alive. it happened. Just la, a dream. la, 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 la. It was just a dream. Didn't AV or AVP take place like in the 80s, 90s? Uh, like the aliens got to Earth? I have no idea, dude, because I wouldn't watch those monstrosities. Oh. And fuck you for watching them. That's so the big horrible. deal we get from Mother is the ship is only halfway home. So they're still out in the middle of nowhere. Well, Mother w- woke him up for this yep. distress signal. Yep. And then Lambert and everyone else is figuring out where they're at. They're 10 months from home, I think. Is yeah, they're like, what the fuck? Why is Mother waking us up? Mm-hmm. Right. And so it turns out that they have to go check out this distress signal. And Brett and Parker are like, uh, we better get some money out of this, right? And it turns into that whole money conversation again, you know. And then um, they they de- uh, they detach from the Nostromo. They take their little shuttle and they go down to the planet. And uh, they uh, sustain some damage. There's a rough landing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What would you guys think of this whole bit? 
I love the alien planet. I mean, even just landing on the alien planet, they gave, did a great job of giving us an alien feel to everything. Did you know that the the scene where they're being lowered onto the ground, uh, the structure they built was huge, but to give it scale, Ridley Scott put his kids in the spacesuits. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, I so those are that. those are his kids. Huh. Yeah, and apparently there was no oxygen in in them either, and actors had been passing out. And it wasn't until they did the kids scene and the kids passed out that really Scott was like, oh, fuck, maybe we should do something about this. <laughs> I even heard at one point there was like an aerosol leak in some of the suits, which poisoned a few of the actors. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I believe it. I believe it. It's the 70s, man, right? <laughs> so uh, Kane, Lambert, and Dallas, they go inspect the ship. And this is the first glimpse of the alien ship that we get. Uh, which goes on to become an iconic figure throughout science fiction history. Mm-hmm. We right? also find out that they're stuck probably on the surface for 25 hours. Yeah, and because so, of the repairs. Right. And so they're sort of stuck for the moment. You, you know what I asked myself, though? Because of the way Brett and Parker are, do they make it 25 hours so they can get, get paid for yeah. 25 hours? No, no. So so Parker says 12 and then Brett says twenty five, and this is a this is a, a, a Star Trek Scotty thing that you always over over pad yourself so that way if you come in under you look like a miracle worker. I oh. think you're right, Don. I think they upped it to get more hours because they seem that type pay. of character. Yeah. But yeah. I buy that too. I buy that too. So um, this whole bit, Dallas and Lambert and Kane going into the alien ship. I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but the alien design and all of that was done by H.R. Geiger. Mm-hmm. And he has a very distinct style. And there was a lot of pseudo-sexual innuendos throughout this entire fucking film. Mm-hmm. And it and it kind of starts here, right? The entrance to the ship looks like a big vagina. And they have to crawl into it. Um, what do you think of the space jockey? Uh, I thought the space jockey looked like one big giant dong sitting on a platform, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Do you know why they had that space jockey in there? No way. From what I read, uh, they wanted to not have this movie appear to be just some cheesy, low budget sci-fi film. So they wanted to throw money into just like a huge amount of money into just one giant prop. And so that's why they had to make that space jockey. And in fact, it wasn't even finished painting when they started filming it. Um, and I guess right after they filmed it, someone left a cigarette near it and the whole thing burned up. Yeah, well, there you go. 70s, man. You now, smoke wherever you want. Now, to go back to what you're talking about, the sexual innuendos, did you get the sexual innuendo with the egg design? Uh, kind of. Originally... When I think it was H.R. Geiger, someone showed the original design for the egg, it only had one slit across the top of it because he purposely meant for it to look like a vagina. And someone said, no, 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 that's just too obvious. So they made him add the second one at a, you know, a 90 degree angle. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dallas and Lambert and Kane discovered the space jockey and they start looking around and Dallas notices that something has bursted from the chest. You know what I mean? And, um, Kane finds a hole. Would huh. you go in that hole? Fuck no. no. I'm not even going on that fucking ship, bud. Well, especially since the hole looks like it's been melted. Well, well, here we go, right? So Kane lowers himself down. What did you guys think of this whole Kane and the egg room bit? That right there, when you 
you quoted it saying, fuck no. Yeah, I actually have that. <laughs> That's so funny. Kane finds egg, sees something moving inside, a big fuck no moment, literally on my notes. Yeah. The blue yeah, la- no. the blue lasers. Do you know where that came from? That came from the Who. Yeah, the Who was trying it out for their concerts. So yeah, they I guess it was nearby, so they just borrowed the equipment. They were they were in the studio right next door. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It gave it a nice effect. Yeah. Yeah. It looked beautiful. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the cinematography in this though dark, I think, is stunning. Um, everything's practical in there. Uh, you have that light mist yep. that's going on. And I'm sorry, Kane. Why are you putting your face over the fucking opening? You've just seen some movement inside, but yeah, you yeah. want to peek into it. After no. seeing some upstairs, something giant got killed. And yeah. you know, it didn't burst into his chest, it burst out of his chest. So I definitely would not be putting my face I wouldn't you know, when I he fell down into the eggs, I would have been working on crawling yeah. back up. Yeah. Oh sure. Sure. Okay, but at the same time, you find you find something that has been derelict for who knows how long chances are everything there has been standing very very still for a very very long time i can understand the possibility that maybe something might be moving but i wouldn't be that surprised if i found absolutely nothing moving and so that's probably what he was thinking of is that everything has been sitting still for a really long time and whatever happened happened a long time ago and it's probably not necessarily all that dangerous for him. But watching the watching the egg open up, I would have definitely backed way the fuck away from that. Because as soon as that comes open, why did it come open right now when nobody's been here for a long fucking time? Right. And so back on the Nostromo, uh, Ripley is listening to the message and she deciphers that it's not an SOS. It's a fucking warning. Right. And she says, I'm going to go out after him. And Ash, the science officer, who I just think at this moment is just a dick. Right. He's like, you'll never catch him. Blah, blah, blah. Talks her out of it. And, you know, we'll find we'll come to find out that Ash is protecting this thing the whole time. But, you know, at this moment, you're like, fuck, it's a warning regarding the egg. I guess Ridley Scott, uh, the movement that you see inside inside the egg was him wearing a rubber glove and moving something around inside. And then the dripping and the alien popping out, that was all filmed upside down. Yeah, fucking practical, man. Yeah, so they used a lot of pretty interesting practical effects. The other interesting thing about the filming techniques is, did you know that most of it was filmed with a handheld? It doesn't surprise me. So just the tight corridors and just the just the set alone would yeah. probably require it. He also Ridley Scott had a technique that I thought was interesting when I read it is that every day when they finished filming, especially for the corridors of the Nostromo, he would move the walls closer together to make the uh, cast feel a little bit more anxious, a little more antsy about being claustrophobic. That's awesome. That's awesome. <clears throat> so it's about a quarter of the way into the movie that we finally get the face hugging scene. And so that's a quarter of the way into the movie. That, that, that's a long way to go before you get some sort of a reveal of something bad. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty good. I will say that watching it jump out this time around, when I watched it jump out, I knew what was happening, but it didn't come across visually all that effectively. When it came across effectively is when we see Kane laying down on the table with a thing wrapped around his head. Yeah. Well, before that, Don, we were talking earlier would you have let Kane back on the ship? No, I wouldn't have. 
I wouldn't have either. Exactly. When yeah. Rid- when Ripley kept saying over and over again, we got to follow protocol. He does not get back on the ship. He's been infected. Nobody listened. Dallas pushed, you know, to get him back inside. In fact, in a cut scene, one of the characters slaps Ripley when they get on board <gasps> for not letting, uh, you know, them right back on. Well, Lambert's pleading too. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I, I definitely would not have let him back on. I would have definitely somehow coordinated off or kept him on the little shuttle or something until they knew exactly what they were dealing with. A lot of these movies that we talk about, there has to be a degree of dumb decision-making in order to make this movie work, mm-hmm. right? And that's what these are. These are dumb decisions that obviously it's going to come back and bite him in the ass. Had they quarantined him, guess what? Movie's over. Right. But sometimes you got to scratch your head and think, what the fuck? Right. Well, and at that so, time, you don't know at what the motive for Ash was. I mean. Yeah. What the hell is Ash doing? Yeah. He's a science officer. Yeah, yeah, I know. But what the hell is he doing? Why Why does he decide to uh, forget the protocol? Well, well, because, well, know, you know well, why. why. But yeah. at this well, point, I think he's point, saying. You is, don't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I guess what I what they were trying to establish is that how I took it was Ash is just kissing Dallas's ass. Yeah. Right, just doing what the captain tells them to do. So, well, the other impression I got too was that they're just a crew of you know miners basically and and tugboat operators. They're not even equipped to deal with this. So, making this kind of decision, some of them are looking at it as money. Some of them are looking at oh, we just need to save our crew member. You know, they're not thinking of the bigger picture like like Ripley is trying to. Plus, it's revealed later that Ripley is new to the crew. They did do a nice little moment of kind of building the tension of the face hugger coming out because right before the face hugger jumps, the camera slowly pulls back and we get 10 seconds of pretty much silence. We just get this sound of wind happening. And I feel like it's this prolonged, you know, uh, wait for it, wait for it. And, and having that happen, I thought that it was a, a good way to build the tension of what come, of what was to come next. And I think what, uh, and I think what complements that really well, at least in my opinion, is after it hits his helmet, we cut to the wide shot of the ship, and we're just slowly pulling back. Mm-hmm. No sound. Yep. Maybe, maybe the wind, but it's very silent, and Ooh. we're just slowly pulling back. He does that throughout the whole movie. So like it's like silent, and then all of a sudden, whatever is coming at them is going to be extremely loud, because you went from silent to extremely loud, and that's like... It like startles you and you're like, wait, was wait, it was just silent. Now it's this. And it's a little kind of uncomfortable type feeling. Right. Right. Meanwhile, Kane discovers a chamber containing hundreds of large egg like objects. When he touches one, a creature springs out, penetrating his helmet and attaches itself to his face. Dallas and Lambert carry the unconscious Kane back to the Nostromo. As the acting senior officer, Ripley refuses to let them on board, citing quarantine regulations. But Ash overrides her decision and lets him and lets them inside. Ash attempts to remove the creature from Kane's face, but stops when he discovers that its extremely corrosive acidic blood could hurt Kane and potentially damage the hull. It later freely detaches and is found dead. The ship is partially repaired, and the crew continues their journey back to Earth. Kane awakes with some memory loss, but seems to be otherwise unharmed. During a final crew meal before returning to stasis, he suddenly chokes and convulses. A small alien creature bursts from Kane's chest, killing him, and escapes into the ship with Ash dissuading the rest from killing it. So poor Lambert and Dallas, they got to drag this guy all the way back, right? And then we talked about uh, protocol, letting him in, not in. So he's in, 
right? And now they have to take the helmet off. And I think it's this bit. Whoever came up with the acid for blood, fucking going down in history. Do you know the reason why they did that? Because it's a defense mechanism? Well, they basically needed something for the second act to explain why they just didn't shoot the alien, why they didn't kill it off really easily. So they needed a reason why they couldn't use conventional weapons against the alien. Oh, and it comes back in seven other movies as fucking awesome. I think it's one of the best defense mechanisms for a creature or or for whatever. I think it's one of the best ever thought of mm-hmm. uh, acid for blood fucking love it uh it drips the acid and then they start to freak out right They're, it's gonna go through the hole and so they follow it down and yeah fucking terrifying yeah. right now ridley scott meant for this whole face hugger thing to feel like a version of rape for a man did you get that kind of impression of that again talking about the sexual innuendo basically it implanted an egg in him it forced basically sex with his face uh, yeah, I, I don't know how else you would describe it. Mm-hmm. And he knew for sure that he couldn't do that with a woman. It had to be with a man. Yeah, that makes sense. At least for the very first time. And so after a while, uh, they don't know what to do. And Kane is sitting there. or <laughs> Kane is laying there. And, you know, the crew, uh, Parker and Brett are like, fucking freeze him. Right? We, this right. is fucking insane. I'm surprised Ash wasn't all for that, just putting him in stasis right. and freezing him to bring him up. Maybe he thought they might lose the alien that way. No, I think he was just gung-ho to figure out what was going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I did really like the practical effect that every time they touched the face hugger, the way it kind of recoiled around his neck. Oh, yeah. is the I, defense. Yeah, I just love that realistic, just crazy feeling of that face hugger. I don't think there's anything that bothers me more than the thought of that, right? I mean, you're suffocating. It's like being intubated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? And from, from, okay, I saw aliens first, and that's where we see it. But just the thought of the face hugger fucking creeps me out. Yeah. Fucking creeps me out. Mm-hmm. And so eventually... The facehugger dies and falls off. What did you guys think of this scene where Ash, Ripley, and Dallas go investigate? Again, kind of a fuck no moment. And close the fucking door. They leave the door open. (laughs) You know what I mean? And why why does Ripley have to go? And turn on some lights. And for fuck's sakes, turn (laughs) on some lights. Ash puts Kane into like an x-ray machine. And we can see the coil or the, we can see the tube moving. And, and later on, you can see the eyeball uh, in a picture that uh, Kane's looking at and Ripley walks over and she's all, what's that? One of the things that, you know, I guess I didn't quite remember it and it did make me jump a little bit this time was when they find the dead body of the facehugger, when it falls down and, and touches Ripley and all that. And then, you know, Ash goes over and touches it with something and it jumps for a sec. It's the ref- uh, uh, Reflex. The, the reflex, reflex, yeah. I completely forgot about that. So that, that one actually made me jump again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's little moments. It's a it's very much a slow burn, and I really appreciate that about this film. So when they were creating this and creating the egg and everything, they used real like meat and you know seafood and clams and all those kind of things. So all the gooiness is all real meat, and I guess it started to stink after a while. Yeah, just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. right? That set was an abomination, mm-hmm. you know, but. It, 1979, everything has to be practical. And it's fucking awesome. And it shows. And it still holds up, at least to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kane wakes up, and he's a little groggy, but, you know, he's clearing his throat a lot. 
And uh, they decide to have one more dinner or breakfast, whatever, before they go back into stasis. And this is where shit goes south. I'm surprised that, you know, when they were joking around during the whole breakfast, someone just didn't turn to them and say, dude, you got face fucked. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they were trying to be sensitive to him. I wouldn't have been. At least you wouldn't have been. Do you know sure, the, I would have. Do you know the name of the scene? What? It's called The Last Supper. The Last Supper is the name of the scene? Yeah. Oh. So when you have it on the DVD and you... Oh, the chapter it, name yeah, is chapter Last name. Supper? Yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah, Last yeah. Supper. That's awesome. And I'm like, what? That's kind of cool. What do you guys think of this whole... I mean, this this is probably one of the most iconic scenes of yeah. any movie, anytime. Yeah. You, have, you have the greatest movies of all time, and they all have an iconic scene, right? The boulder, the opening to Jaws, and the uh, chestburster, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Recognizable anywhere. What did you guys think of it watching it again? I loved it just as much. Same. I thought that the uh, that the little critter coming out was uh, was really effective, and it was great having the uh, the little guy go shooting off so quickly. <laughs> you know, he was there for just a moment. Hey, everybody! And then he goes shooting Whee! off. Didn't you know he looked kind of funny running off? But other than that, yeah, I, I think that this is like I said, one of those iconic moments, and this is I think what made the movie so uh so strong and word of mouth and that it stayed in the it, it was in the box office for 19 weeks wow and i am certain that people didn't say what happened they were just told go see it oh sure and then we'll right. talk about it afterwards yeah because, the good old days right because you don't want to spoil that for your friend you want oh your gosh. friend to drop a deuce just like <laughs> you did and what what sells it is veronica cartwright's reaction she had no idea that they were going to spray her with that much blood. So her, oh, God, yeah. is completely genuine, and she fucking sells it. What What did you think she of the does. scene, Don? I love it. I love this scene. Uh, it. I will be honest with everybody here in podcast land. It pissed me off when they parodied it in Spaceballs. I was about because to Because now when I watch it, that's all I fucking think about. <laughs> I was going to ask, did anyone... Like, just have this in the back of their mind, waiting for the little alien thing to Hello, start singing. Hello, my darling. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it, it annoys me. And when it scurries away, that's especially when I think about it. But there's so much going on in this scene. So, like, you, you think, here they are eating, and you're like, okay, it's like the beginning. And you're like, oh, they're all happy. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we're good. We're good. He's fine. But then there's little nuances that, you know, watching it and really watching the characters and... You kind of watch Ash a little Not bit differently. React. Yeah. He's sitting there and he's just watching Kane in a different way that I never noticed before ever. And I've seen this many times. And he just kind of is like waiting, just kind of like sitting back. And again, again, you know, I never noticed it. And I'm like, oh, he's waiting because he knows something's up. And it's not until Kane physically gets up and falls onto the table that Ash reacts and does something. Yeah. He's watching him convulse. He's watching him yep. choke. He's watching everybody. And he has that look in his eye like, huh, I wonder yeah. what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know, if anything, really Scott does a really good job with androids, mm. you know, yeah. from this all the way to Michael Fassbender's character in Alien Covenant, right? They, right. Oh, he yeah. just has a good way of directing um, creepy non-human, if you will. While I, I don't know if it was intentional in this movie, did you catch the symbolism between uh, this synthoid being named Ash versus the future one being named Bishop? And the third one was named? I don't remember. Dave. That was Winona Ryder or? Oh, yeah, Call. Well, those two. Yes, it, it's A, B, C, D. Well, also, at least for the first two, 
They both had SH in their names, which stood for synthetic human. Did you notice when the first splat of blood happened and everyone's kind of like, what was that? Everything goes silent. Nobody moves. It, the, the sound is completely silent. And then it starts again. Well, yeah. And it's really effective because nothing bursts out of the shirt right. per se yet, but you can hear the pop. Yes. And then the blood starts soaking through uh-huh. the shirt. And then you're like, oh, fuck. My first thought is, what the fuck did he eat? <laughs> no, what ate him? Dim sum. Yeah, dim sum probably at 10 in the morning. And so uh, this thing comes out and Parker goes to kill it. And Ash is like, wait, dumb decision number six. Yeah. Um, and so it scurries off. After ejecting Kane's body out of an airlock, the crew attempts to locate the creature with tracking devices and capture it with nets, electric prods, and flamethrowers. Brett follows the crew's cat, Jones, into a landing leg compartment where the now fully grown alien attacks Brett and disappears with his body. After a heated discussion, the crew decides the creature must be in the air ducts. Dallas enters the ducts, intending to force the monster into an airlock, but it ambushes and seemingly kills him. Lambert, realizing that the alien intends to kill the crew one by one, implores the others to abandon ship and escape in a small shuttle. But Ripley, now in command, explains that it will not support four people and insists on continuing Dallas's plan on flushing out the alien. So, yeah, they have a quick funeral. Bye, Kane. They just kind of flushed him. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in every space movie, when there's a death, they always flush him out to space. Yeah. That kind of looked a little hokey. Well, I mean, I know. Come it's on, still seventy-nine. Come on, it, you gotta, you gotta forgive that. It yeah. looked like a matte painting. Yeah, but yeah, come on, come on. And so they decide that they have to find this fucking thing. And so they and they're looking for a small little thing at this point. Yeah. Well, that's what they think, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they want to. Um, they set out in two teams, and team number one is Ripley, Brett, and Parker. And then, oh my God, Brett is sent to find the cat. Mistake number seven. Fuck that cat. Bad decision number seven. Yes. Yeah. What did I say? Fuck that cat. That's right. Um, and this, Brett's death, visually cool, nice to look at, but is it raining in the spaceship? Yeah, I don't... Is that sewer water? I mean, it's just kind of a weird setting, right? Exactly. And that's what a lot of people question where they got of Why? Probably because it looked really cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what he said. Yeah. And so uh, the alien gets the drop on Brett. And Can we back up just a half a heartbeat? Sure. So I thought it does a really nice uh, job of building tension here because you have four minutes of Jonesy, you know, evading Brett. <laughs> and he's just looking around. And during this time, what we get is this very subtle heartbeat sound that is injected in, that that is just softly playing quietly underneath as he's looking around. Yeah, I totally noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know how they made the cat react the way it did? They had a German shepherd. Yeah, I guess they put up some kind of board hiding the dog, and it was a, like a piece of plexiglass, and so they had the cat walking along, and then they just lifted it up and scared the crap out of the cat. Yeah. Don't forget, uh, Brett finds the the, um, the skin, the skin, the shedding of the skin. So you know, oh, it's it's gotten bigger. Yeah, it's like a well, reptile, yeah, right? I thought snake shouldn't be that big. Yeah. Did you catch the aliens' transition throughout the movie? 
that it started off with fairly transparent skin and got blacker as the movie went on? Mm-mm, I didn't notice that. Um, I mean, not really, because you only see it little once, yeah. and then you see it big, and I just assume that's what the colors were. Um, but it's it's very biomechanical, and so it adapts to its uh, surroundings as, as well. Well, it takes the genetic uh, DNA of its host to kind of appear similar to its host. Sure, sure. That's why in three, it runs around like a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so we finally have the reveal of the alien. And when when that happens, we get that cat hiss, and then the next shot is of Brett, and then we see the profile of the alien, and then it goes back to the cat, and then it goes back to Brett. And then we finally see them face to face. And so here I am looking at the alien close up in tight right in my face. And that's that was another thing that I found myself thinking, you know, I see a lot of the alien that I see. It's just really close up shots of just the face. And we don't get to see, you know, a good look at the alien so much until we finally get to the shuttle. And so that was something that I found to be a little crestfallen was that the reveal of the alien was good, but it was just of the alien's face. And we saw very little of his, the rest of his body. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, when we get there and we do see the alien body, he kind of looks like a guy in a suit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think with... with the decisions that they're making here, you know, less is more. They don't want yeah. to uh, show their hand too quick. So I think these up-close shots of the alien are very fucking effective with its lip quivering yeah. and the slime coming down. All that KY. That's right. And <laughs> then, so I kept uh, thinking, that, was that what Brett was drinking? And then uh, how it opens up and it kind of re- slowly reveals the second mouth. mouth. A second Come fucking on. mouth? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's like projectile. And it, and it comes out very much like a... Viper. Well, like one of those guns that they... <laughs> ah. Ah. It reminded me, uh, well, of penis, but it also reminded me of those guns that uh, people use to kill livestock. The bolt Kettle guns? Pod. The bolt guns. That's yeah. what it always oh, reminds me. But what do you think was Brett's last thought? Was it, you know, his catchphrase of, wasn't it something like, all right, or... I didn't think it was right. Right? Or yeah. was it, oh, fuck me. I would have to go with fucking cat. <laughs> Fuck that cat. Well, and, and that's how and that's how the scene ends. You know, it it's the attack and then the cat and then the attack and then the cat and the attack and then the cat. Because Ridley Scott knows what happens in your head Absolutely. is way worse than what you yeah. can show us. Yeah. Now there are filmmakers today that will argue that and will show you everything. But in a day where computers can do it all, sure, why not? Go for it. Right? You'll either like it or you won't. But back in the day. You know, really, Scott said, you fuckers need to think, and it's still terrifying. It, anytime one of the characters dies in this film, it gets me, because mm-hmm. you don't see it. It's never on screen-ish, and it's just it's powerful. Yeah. It's, one, it's very powerful. Yeah. Besides just leading people to its death, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but there is a, an actual reason why Ridley put this cat into the movie. He was thinking ahead for sequels. Which he lands up not doing. No, he didn't. Ended up going with it. But the cat was meant to have a purpose. Brett's gone, and Dallas and the rest of the crew decide that they want to force it into the air ducts, lock it into an airlock, and blow it the fuck out of space. Right. Oh, and in the meantime, you also have Dallas going back to mother. What do I do? And mother's completely useless. (laughs) She's a fucking database. Well, it was also you know we don't 
I think get it at this point. Uh, but she's working with Ash. I mean, she's or Ash is working for her. But I see yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. They're, she's at, on the corporation side. Everybody's working for the corporation. Yes, and yeah. she, you know her whole thing, the of, company of waking them up and diverting them. We find out later was to purposely get them to this planet and get the alien. So uh, Ash creates these motion detectors, which uh, James Cameron will go on to improve. Um, but it's a fun bit, and this is. Uh, you know, Dallas is going to go and try to lure it or like, you know, trying to follow it, whatever. And this bit is really, I really like this bit because A, we're killing the captain and that means really nobody is safe. And we, right. we really don't, we really still don't know whose story this is at this point. Right. But now we're going to kill off the captain. But I have, I've, I've always had this one, I don't know, pet peeve or nitpick, if you will. Dallas jumps down and turns around and the aliens right there. Bad decision number eight. Where the fuck are you going, Dallas? Lambert's yelling at you. It's on you. It's right there. It's right there. Where are you going? And why are you not flaming that whole fucking hallway? I would have right? flamed down first before even going well, he, down. He did, but yeah. then he got down and turned and it was right fucking there. But... I'm going to go back to why go down why go down the fucking ladder? Why ever go down? Well, there's, you know what? I don't even want to get into it, but you should always go down. Um, yeah, I don't know why he fucking does it. Well, that's a good, um, in this scene, there's a good visual of the alien coming at him finally for the first time. And we have four minutes of tension building again, you know, that, which I thought was done very well. You know, just thinking... It's it's there. No, it's not there. Okay, wait. Is it going to be there? No, it's not there. Yeah, very much. Uh, you think one thing, and it surprises you another. Yeah. You know, and it, and again, this this movie is a, a slow burn, and they build tension very well in this movie. Yeah. And I think it's because of this movie. Future movies of all genres have learned to build tension because of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, they take insp- uh, they take an in- inspiration from it, or. Or whatever it is, you know what I mean. But this this movie paved the way for a lot of future uh, another thing that horror can, movies. Another thing that kind of helps sell the moment is when Lambert is yelling, "Move, Dallas, move!" Lambert sells this whole fucking scene, right? Yeah, because again, Ridley's like, you you have to imagine what's happening, you know. And all we're getting is uh, Lambert screaming through the comms. And you, you cut to Ripley, you cut back to Lambert, you cut back to Ripley, you know, there's a, there's cutting going on here and, but you never see Dallas getting taken. You only get one quick shot of the alien, the, you know, the light flashes on and the alien is right there and then it's total darkness and then we have static. And so now that Dallas is gone, Ripley is now in command and the, the four survivors, and they're trying to figure out what their next option is. And Lambert's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Let's take the shuttle and blow up the ship. And Ripley's like, no, we can't because the shuttle won't hold four people. So in reality, we're stuck here. So we're going to move on with Dallas's plan, you know. So they go tracking again. And Ripley now, who's in charge, wants to go talk to Mother. And so she goes, talks to Mother. And Mother tells her a dirty little secret. That's right. Accessing Mother, Ripley discovers the company has secretly ordered Ash to return the alien with the crew considered expendable. She confronts Ash, who tries to choke her to death. Parker intervenes and clubs Ash, knocking his head loose and revealing him as an android. He, Ripley, and Lambert 
reactivate Ash's head, and they learn that he was assigned to ensure the creature's survival. He expresses admiration for the creature's physiology, unhindered by his conscience or morality, and taunts them about their chances of survival. Ripley cuts off his power, and Parker incinerates him. The remaining crew decides to self-destruct the Nostromo and escape in the shuttle. However, Parker and Lambert are ambushed and killed by the creature while gathering life support supplies. Ripley initiates the self-destruction sequence, but finds the alien blocking her path to the shuttle. She retreats and attempts unsuccessfully to abort the self-destruct. With no further option, she flees to the shuttle, carrying Jones, and narrowly escapes as the Nostromo explodes. So we kind of get the big reveal in the mother box room, whatever it is, that um, the whole plan was originally to get them to that planet to get that alien. Did you get that impression? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's when uh, they say that the crew is expendable yeah. and Ripley starts to break down a little bit. And then we pull the camera back and Ash is sitting right there. It's just oh, standing there. Fucking me. creepy, right? So you think that that's originally... When the ship leaves, that it's supposed to end up at that moon? When it leaves Earth, it's supposed to end up at the moon? No, 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 no. I think between the time it left Earth to go do its job on the way back, that distress signal came in. And since they were closest, I think they got sent to go get it. Yeah. it. That's how I took it. It purposely understood what, that it wasn't a distress call, that it was a warning. And it woke up the crew specifically to go to that planet to try to capture an alien. I didn't take it as that at all. I just took it as it's a distress signal. And then Special Order 937 is all about a little bit of cha-ching. And that's why it overrode the other orders because it saw it as an opportunity, a business opportunity for it to make money. And so Ripley knows the dirty little secret. And this is where Ash starts to freak out. He suddenly appears. I took it him being able, because the door opens very loud. And I took it that she was so engrossed with what she was discovering that she didn't hear Ash come in at all. That's how I took it. Oh, maybe. I just took it as he just showed up and it was fucking creepy. Or I thought that he followed her in okay, like right behind her. But that door is yeah. loud. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so they leave and Ripley's trying to get away from Ash and he keeps shutting the doors on her and then he fucking malfunctions or something. Well, they revealed, I don't know, was it in a future movie or something that when she pushed him up against the wall, she damaged him and that's why he attacked her. Oh, maybe. I never put that together. Yeah, because you notice when he gets hit by the wall, he starts to twitch a little bit. And supposedly that's what set him into defense mode or attack mode or whatever it was. And so as this is going on, Parker intervenes and knocks the shit out of Ash and his head falls off. And lo and behold, he's a fucking android. Did you see any of that coming? Yes, because I saw aliens first. Oh, okay. So, you know, all of this... All of this kind of comes secondhand. The The mythology has already been established for me. That does suck, but is what it is. Apparently, in the theaters, when this movie was first shown, that scene of Ash getting his head knocked off made people faint in the theater. What? Losers. Weaklings. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's such an oh shit moment because, you know, the audience has already been through so much. The face hugger, the chest bursting. And now to come to find out that one of your crewmates is a freaking robot? What the fuck? And they're screwed that much more. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, Ripley needs answers, right? And so they, they, uh, <laughs> they hotwire Ash's head 
And obviously, you guys saw the cut, right? It goes from plastic mm-hmm. yeah. to Ian Holmes. Right. Uh, it's one of the few it, faulty edits that you see in the movie. It's a very, it's a very big jump cut. But I guess at the time, whatever. Um, and this is where we get, you know, Ash saying answering questions about the alien and you know he admires it and he it was uh, sworn to protect it and you know that was his duty and then you know duty. so coldly he says uh i'm not going to pretend you guys have a chance but you have my sympathy you know what i mean Burn. so cold and then Burn. so fucking ribley gets all kinds of fists off knocks the head off the table and then parker fucking torches it yeah and totally looks like a fucking puppet or oh yeah, model. yeah you know what I mean. Yeah. Can I uh, kind of step back a little bit? Did you notice when uh, Ash's head came off, <laughs> his arms just all of a sudden goes into like robot mode, and it just—did you notice? I that? didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. And he's just going like this, and I'm like, he used to be able to like move his hands, and now he's just like doing the robot dance. I was waiting for him to start break dancing and spin <laughs> around, spin so, a rooney. He was just very stiff. Yeah. After his head <laughs> came stiff. off. <laughs> now that Ash is gone. We now have three people, and we can... Get the fuck off the ship. Get the fuck off the ship, all right? Bad decision number nine. Why are you going after that fucking cat? Why are they not all together? Why are they not all together? Yep. Right? Okay, so they split up. They split up to get, I think, different things done that they thought they would get all the Well, well, Lambert and Parker are together, and then Ripley goes off by herself to get the fucking cat. Right. Okay, why are we not all three of us going together, get the supplies, and then go get the fucking cat, and then get the fuck off? She wasn't going to get the cat. She was going to do the self-destruct, and she happened into Jones. Oh, you're right. She was. She went to go set the Yeah, and then she put Jones in a little kitty carrier. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, I'll buy you that. But this leads me to probably my biggest problem with the film, which, you know, I'll go ahead and say right now, uh, probably keeps it from getting a perfect score why the fuck does parker not just kill the alien and lambert she won't move she can't move right, right? oh again why why you're scared okay fucking move i understand that he didn't want to kill her too but the th- thing that pissed me off and yeah this is a scene that i had the big issue with is the fact that she won't move Right. That she, you know, everything else has happened and she just won't get out of the way. And she basically costs him his life. She costs them both their lives. Yeah. Well, why don't they have to be so loud getting all that stuff? That's a great question, too. I was like, oh, like, just get pots and pans and say, here we are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I get it. They're in a rush. I, I get that. And yeah, you just want to get out. But they are throwing things left and right. And I was just like, and it's right there. And I don't understand the physics of it because Parker, Parker seems to be standing far away while it comes down and starts scaring. And then he runs at the alien and that's when he gets the steel mouth to the head. Maybe what's going on here. And, it was an interesting thing I read from the director and the other people who set up this scene is the idea is that Parker runs at the alien and the alien grabs him in a hug, which we don't see, but holds him and crushes him. And that's why blood starts coming out of his mouth because it's crushing him with its like super strength or whatever. Huh. And they're saying that this alien 
actually at this point where you're supposed to start detecting is it enjoys making people suffer. It's actually become a very sadistic alien in that it just crushes them, holds them there, and you build up the tension of then it shoots and kills him. Yeah, well, you're asking a lot of your audience because I didn't yeah. get that at all. Yeah, me I know. Either, so. And I agree. And maybe that was something they maybe cut some things out for the extra scenes. But because originally this movie was over three hours long. Um, so maybe we missed the whole hugging thing. But yeah, I agree with you. I didn't understand why he just ran up and looked like he stopped and then got, you know, a few seconds later got the headshot. So back to the pots and pans clanging scene. <laughs> yeah. What we have at this time that also begins, that builds the tension, is the heartbeat sound yep. comes back. Yep. And that heartbeat sound that we had before, it's just like, I, I just thought it was a, a really great way to make us slow down and just pay attention to anything that's going to happen next. And then immediately we go right over to Ripley where we get a jump scare from Jones. While Parker rushes at the alien, now we have Ripley running down the long, dark corridors. And so I thought that that was a, a really nice way of building the tension as well is because now we have com we have the contact of Parker and the alien together and we don't get to see what's happening. We only get to see Ripley running and yelling down the corridor. It, has she already started the self-destruct mechanism? No. Are we on the countdown yet? No, we are not. Does Ripley see that they're dead? No, she, no. she starts running after him, but then notices I think it goes silent and then starts going back to find the cat again. Oh. Because she had left the cat here. Now, this is a big scene, I guess, what was supposed to set up for the sequel that I mentioned earlier was we get the scene of the cat carrier and the alien kind of looking at the right. cat carrier. Did you notice that scene? Yeah. That was supposed to be, and again, it doesn't work out for obviously obvious reasons for future movies, was the alien was supposed to implant something in the cat. And then in the sequel, the cat was supposed to be the future host of an alien. I could see that. And then we see the tail advancing towards Lambert's leg. And then right after that happens, then we have Ripley running again, but now she's listening to the screams that she's running towards. Right. And then she gets into the room to find both of them dead. Oh, right. Yep. And so after they're both dead, she says, fuck this. Yeah. And she goes, starts the self-destruction. Right. She's heading down those dark corridors running again. By herself. Um, she's going to get used to that cause she's going to do that 57 years later too. Um, so this whole blowing up the ship bit, I like that self-destruct that looked pretty good. I felt like that was a lot of steps. Well, I oh, like, yeah. I like that in a lot of movies, you know, people always stop the countdown at one second and she goes to try to stop the countdown, but doesn't make it in time. Why does she go to try and stop it? I Be don't. Because the alien is blocking. Yeah, so she oh. sets the she sets the bomb, she runs, and the alien's blocking her way. And so she says, fuck it, I'm going to go stop it. And you're right, most movies, one second left, and it would have been stopped. And it even, seems like, it even seems like she stops it at one second, but Mother continues it anyway. Kind of, right? Oh, because yeah. Mother's she, a little, little bitch. That's right. <laughs> well, it got to the five-minute mark. Right? Yeah. Which and is the no, re no return moment. No return, yeah, yeah. yeah, and she couldn't get that second lever... Right engaged completely that's right she was she she missed it by like half a second mm -hmm. that's but she it. still missed it so she goes running back to the shuttle and i'm thinking to myself well if the alien's not there or blocking you anymore gotta be in the fucking shuttle right so she gets back to the shuttle she grabs jones along the way and whoo that's it that's it we made it 
and then they take <laughs> off and uh and the ship explodes and the ship explodes and we are getting ready to go night night well that was supposed to be the original ending of the movie and ridley scott and i, I maybe you can tell me if i'm wrong or not but he kind of invented the idea of a fourth act to a movie he called the whole shuttle scene his fourth act he can call it whatever he wants it's it's his movie um i mean i just i just lump it up into part of the third you know what I mean? Um, and it's funny because, again, I saw Aliens first. And Aliens is structured very, very, very similarly. It is very similar. To Alien. Good job, James Cameron. <laughs> so maybe it is fourth act. Cool. Um, but I think we needed this, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think that the alien being destroyed on the Nostromo is... Is, is good enough. It's like the shark drowning, right? Mm-hmm. We need to see this shark blow up. Yeah. And so really Scott probably has the same mentality going into this, uh, thinking, you know, I've had them for this long. Now we're going to end it. And you know that some shit's going to happen because we're seeing too much of happy, calm, mm-hmm. quiet. We made it. As Ripley prepares for stasis, she discovers that the alien is aboard having wedged itself into a narrow space. She dons a spacesuit and uses gas to flush out the creature. It approaches Ripley, but before it can attack, she opens an airlock door, almost blasting it into space. However, it hangs on by gripping the frame. Ripley shoots it with a grappling hook, but the gun catches as the airlock doors close, tethering the alien to the shuttle. It pulls itself into the exhaust engine, but Ripley fires the engines, blasting it away into deep space. After recording the final log entry, she places Jones and herself into stasis for a trip back to Earth. Roll credits. So I guess the alien, the guy in the costume, couldn't fit into that little crevice space that it appears. So did you hear how they filmed that scene? Uh, They filmed him getting into it? And then reversed it? No, basically, they had him lie down on like a piece of the set piece, and they built the whole set around around him. him. And when he first came out, the suit pretty much ripped off him. I believe it. Bummer. So what the heck is he doing in there? Is he like taking a nap? Yeah. Is he? Is he? I've worked really hard. I deserve. I've killed a lot of people. I've cocooned. (laughs) Not that the audience knows this, but I've cocooned a lot of people. He looked fucking tired. There is an explanation. He yawned. By all means, what is it? The original plan for the movie, or the storyline, at least from Ridley Scott, was the alien, if you notice, like I mentioned earlier, it was maturing very fast. So the whole point was it climbed in the shuttle because it was a quiet place and it was planning on dying. It was actually dying during that sequence. I I did think that it was weird, though, that it was kind of lethargic. Uh, I thought maybe Ripley had uh, wounded it or something, maybe. I don't know. But anyways, we knew it was coming. I liked how it hid. Yeah. It blended in very well. And, you know, you, you've you seen this movie a thousand times, uh-huh. and even with aliens, but when the head moves in certain shots, it like the wall is moving. Yep. Fucking creepy yeah. to oh. this day. Oh, Absolutely. I- that creature design holds up. It holds up, and, and what I like about it is that the creature design looks like the inside of the space shuttle so you really never know if it's 
the space shuttle or if it's the actual alien. Yeah, it's how they adapt and how they how the aliens, how the xenomorphs yep. uh, adapt their surroundings, yeah. you know, and they go into a lot more detail in that in the future installments. One of the things I tried to watch for in this movie is spotting the alien in earlier scenes. So when she first comes on the shuttle, if you look closely, you can see it right there. Well, in the yeah, thing, in the you background. know it's right there. Yeah, and, you know it. You know, when Brett got killed... When he first came in that room, you could see it in the background. So I mean, there's if you watch for it, you can actually see it. Well, that yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. And so the alien is on board. Ripley gets into her spacesuit, and she straps herself in, and she blows the alien out of the airlock. But the alien holds on, and then she shoots him with the grappling gun. You see all the acid flying into space when they shot it. I thought mm-hmm. that was a nice oh, little yeah. touch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the alien tries to. Get back in through the engine, I guess. Pretty badass that it can survive in space and as, as long as it had lasted with that blaster coming on. Yeah, I know. I mean, these things are fucking almost indestructible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ripley gets the best of them. She she hits the thrusters and, and blows it away. At some point, when you watch this, probably not this last time, but maybe years, years, years ago, did you think it was over? No. You thought maybe one more scare? Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly thought that the alien had done something to the cat, and now we were going to, like, either when she was going into stasis or something, something was going to pop out of the yeah. cat. And that's how they would have ended it. Yeah. yeah. Screw that cat. You thought no. it was over? You, you were, yeah. You were, you were ready to breathe again? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's Alien. That's Alien right there. That's Alien. You know, in this movie, the main character, especially Ripley, had to overcome just an adversary that seemed unstoppable it kind of reminds me of another movie that did something like that oh for fuck's sake and now it's time for john's moment it's this point in our podcast where i take whatever movie we are currently reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made lord of the rings the most significant connection between alien and lord of the rings is the hero's journey. In both tales, we see characters who are thrust into extraordinary circumstances and must rise to meet the challenge. Whether it's Frodo's quest to save Middle-earth or Ripley's fight to survive, both stories exemplify the idea of the hero's journey and the transformative power of overcoming adversity. So let's start with the fellowship. It's safe to say that the crew well, most of them are the fellowship as they are on the same journey of survival, working together to try to accomplish their goal. So that makes Dallas, Ripley, Kane, Lambert, Brett, Parker, and even Jonesy the fellowship. For Frodo, my obvious pick is Ripley. She's on a journey of survival to save her crew and then eventually to save herself. From early on, She's the one focused on keeping the crew safe and at odds with the xenomorph. For Sam, well, my pick is going to have to be Jonesy. While the cat doesn't really appear to take an active role in the movie beyond just being around, he serves as a comforting influence as well as a close friend, close enough that Ripley would risk her life to save. It's that influence on Ripley that I feel makes Jonesy our Sam. But being that cats tend to also be selfish dicks who just look out for themselves, 
or at least maybe just my cat does, Jonesy also qualifies as a bit of a golem. Dallas, the leader, well, he's my pick for Aragorn. Parker and Brett, the engineers, they provide humor and support, so that really makes them Merry and Pippin. You might think Ash, played by Ian Holmes, has a Bilbo-like quality, mainly because he played Bilbo in the live-action version of Lord of the Rings. But in my opinion, he's more like Saruman the White. He betrays the crew, much like Saruman betrayed Gandalf, and he's always worked for the big bad. So who is the big bad in Lord of the Rings? Sauron put his own goals ahead of everything and everyone else, making everything around him and everyone around him expendable. In Alien, we see the Weyland yutani Corporation's obsession with obtaining the Xenomorph for their own benefit and classifying the crew as expendable. That kind of makes them the big bad in this movie, the ones calling all the shots. So therefore, they are our Sauron. Now, what is the precious? What is the one ring in Alien? In Lord of the Rings, the ring is the one thing everyone is after. Sauron wanted it for his own selfish purposes. Frodo and our fellowship just wanted to destroy the ring. The ring itself only brought chaos, corruption, and death to those who came in contact with it. In Alien, the one thing that matches up to that ring is the xenomorph. The corporation wanted it above everything else, and the crew, minus Ash, just wanted it dead. So there you have it, my comparison between Alien and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the greats. Fine, I'll go. Good, I'm looking at you, sir. Yes, well, I will say that I thought that the whole Jones comparison fell fell flat. I, I didn't agree with that. Really? I felt quite the opposite. At first, I thought, a fucking cat? Are you fucking high? But when you brought in the emotional qualities, I went, eh, all right, I'll buy it. Because really, there's no, there's no other Sam in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean you have to leave Sam out? No, no. not necessarily, but... I, I understand why you did that. What I was going to shut your mouth. What I was going to say was, <laughs> uh, as you're talking about what the ring is, I said, I swear to God, if this guy does not say the xenomorph, I'm going to fucking lose it. But you did. And it that, makes sense. And what kind of sells it for me is at the end when uh, it gets blown out of the, uh, the engines or the engines blow it into space, it reminds me of uh, Gollum falling with the ring into the... Lava of Mount Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought that the ring comparison was a strong uh, pull, so I, I agree very much with that. But I don't know. Let's say our score at this exact same time. One. S- oh. Fucker. <laughs> One, two, three. C+. C+. Plus. Okay, you get a C+. Plus. Jill, do you have any comments for our comic? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Are you kidding me? So you haven't. I, yeah, so I... I yeah, I can't, I can't tell if that, you know what? That doesn't yes. answer my question. Yes, I've seen it. I've done the uh, extended version. I've I've looked at all the behind the scenes, all three hours per movie. Not only that, <laughs> but where did you go on a trip? New Zealand. And what did you do in New Zealand? We went to Hobbiton. That's fucking awesome. I have cousins that live in New Zealand. So uh, what do you think of the this guy? I thought, I think when I really like was actually... Paying attention. Um, the ring part and the alien was when, like the one I got. When you were actually paying attention. I just wanted to yeah. note that part of it. I zoned out for like the first, you know, hour and a half of your explanation. Um, but then in the last like 10 minutes, I, I got back into that. And 
Yeah, you were right on that. Do I give it a grade? Yeah, give it a grade. Um, hey, I heard about the ring and the alien B. That uh-huh. matched up. That matched well, up. Before you hit that button, there was, <laughs> again, you talked about Jonesy and all that. I struggled. Do you think Jonesy was more of a Sam or a Gollum? Since he was really just about himself. What did, what, did, what grade did we give him? C, C plus? plus. C. You don't want to answer the question? C minus. Okay. <laughs> D plus. F. Whoa, whoa, F minus. Whoa. Why F minus. No, I like the Sam because of the emotion part. I didn't yeah, think about the Gollum that. at all. Yeah, that was good. That was a good quote. Fuck, yeah, I was, the, fuck, I, hey, fuck I this pay- guy. Who cares what he fucking thinks? I thought the Sam one was good. See, I paid attention to what Don was saying. <laughs> and that was John's. <laughs> moment. <laughs> Thank you, Jill. All right, what do you guys think? You guys are ready to rate this flick? I'm curious to know before we rate the flick, let's talk a little bit about, did you have a favorite death? Or did you have... A death that you thought um, was rather crestfallen. Do you have one, Joe? I don't know. I feel like I feel like we'd all mainly say the same thing. Mine was, of course, Kane. Right. Yeah. The I mean, chest burst. Just, come yeah. On. I think. I mean, because that kind of that sets the bar. You know what I mean? That yeah. that sets us in motion. So I'm going to say Kane's my favorite death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's just a given for me. Uh, besides Kane. Parker, when, when he gets the headshot and that, that meat that you kind of see burst, mm, that mm, was pretty visually impacting to me. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice. What about you? I was, I was crestfallen with Lambert. Well, I, yeah. And when we talked about it, that whole scene, mm-hmm. you know, I just... Did you catch the weirdness in that scene? Yes, the the way the tail went yeah. and where it was going. But and also, that wasn't Lambert's feet. They filmed that scene... With the actor who played Brett, originally in the scene, that tail was supposed to go up like that. And they didn't film it with the actress who played Lambert. So when they flashed down to the feet, that's Brett's feet. Nope, never would have noticed. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out, Dick. Now, what about, now, now that's all I'm going to see. What about the cowboy boots? I thought Lambert wore cowboy boots. Yeah, and I don't think we get to see it in that scene. <coughs> see, you get me all choked up. You're fucking killing me. So there you have it. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. All right. What do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? Sure. Jill, you ready to rate this flick? Yes. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Anytime somebody says you want to watch that, fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you get done watching it and you're thinking, what the fuck was that? And you really don't need to see it anymore. You saw it and you're yeah, done. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, for shit's sake, what the, what was that? You know what? I want one hour and 52 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right. Who wants to go first with the alien? I thought Jill's got to go first. It's, It's her movie. That's a good point. I think Jill should be able to nominate who she wants to go first. I think you should... <laughs> okay, Jill, who would you like to hear go first? Uh, John. I will go first then. All right, here we go. When it comes to si- Oh, for the record. Oh. It is 4.75 fucks. Is that your guess? That's for- my guess. That's my final answer. That go is on. your final answer, 4.75. Yep. yep. Okay. When it comes to sci-fi horror movies, 
I can only think of a few that have left such a huge impact on the genre as Ridley Scott's Alien. Its legacy is a testament to its timelessness and brilliance. Despite being over four decades old, you can still see its influence on movies made today. If Die Hard is the model for action movies that followed it, then Alien is the model for sci-fi horror. One of Alien's most significant strengths is its use of visual storytelling. The movie's opening 30 minutes are almost all without any dialogue, yet you hardly notice engrossing the visuals of space and the spaceship Nostromo. Scott's use of visuals to establish the film's mood and atmosphere, leaving us, the audience, with a sense of unease, gradually builds into terror as the xenomorph is introduced. The methods used to bring the xenomorph to life adds to alien visual impact, ensuring that the monster remains an iconic horror figure to this day. I appreciate the movie's take on gender roles, corporate greed, and the dangers of unchecked technology as it progresses. Normally, you'd expect the damsel in distress or the final girl who luckily makes it out alive. Not so with Aliens Ripley, who is shown to be both strong and resourceful. The film also broke away from the traditional horror mold of not relying on the simple good versus evil, but gave us layers of evil throughout the whole film in a provoking way. Was the alien actually even evil, or was it just doing what it did to survive? The cinematography is another aspect that sets Alien apart. The use of the slow camera movements, low-key lighting, and deep shadows all contribute to creating a sense of tension and dread. Scott employed unconventional camera angles, such as shooting from the ceiling, as well as his use of handhelds to disorient the audience and create a sense of otherworldness. The sound design worked amazingly as well in generating jump scenes, including the iconic chestbuster scene. Another thing this movie does well is giving us just enough time to connect with the crew before we feel their terror as they're stalked by the xenomorph. Alien's legacy is that it will always remain a terrifying as well as a thought-provoking work of art. And it's for those reasons I'm giving Alien 4.75 fucks. 4.75 fucks from the comic book guy. I saw it coming a mile away. You love this film. And you know what? I fucking agree with you. I'll go next. Uh, Alien. Uh, it's Jaws meets Star Wars. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Uh, it was cast wonderfully. It was written brilliantly. It was shot phenomenally. Uh, there are just a few things in it that, for me, keep it from being cinematic gold, but it's pretty fucking close. I'm giving Alien 4.75 fucks. Short, sweet, to the point. All right, Alien. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and I remember the first time that I watched it, watching it on VHS, my... Uh, my stomach was up in my throat. My tension that I felt watching the movie was constant throughout. And it was quite the ride watching it that first time. I knew of the scenes in there, but, you know, to actually see them for real first time around, wow. But last night, well, no, it wasn't last night. But the other night when I watched it, <laughs> it, fell, it fell short. And as much as this movie is credited for what it did, for cinema with the face hugger 
and the chest bursting and the xenomorph and then that beautiful twist with uh, Ash not being a human being. You know, wow. Really, really good stuff. Outside of that, the story moves and it's great that we are isolated in space because you are on your own and there is nowhere left to go. And it is just you on the spaceship and what are you going to do? But in the end, I found myself thinking, well, I guess it's it still holds up. But I just I didn't have the satisfaction watching it the other night that I had in watching it that first time around. And in looking at the strength of the characters, especially Ripley, you know, uh, and Dallas. I, I really dug both of those characters. And the other characters, they were likable as well, but I, I, I really appreciated Dallas and Ripley. But after that, the characters, I, I felt like that they were rather pedestrian. So I'm giving this movie 3.75 fucks. Did you say 3.75 fucks? That's what I said. Oh, okay. Just making sure I heard you. Go ahead, Miss Joe. Okay. The 1979 science fiction horror film Alien is a true masterpiece of its genre. Directed by Sir uh, Ridley Scott and starring Sir Gorney Weaver in her breakout role as the tenacious and resourceful Ripley, from its opening scenes to the film sets a tone of unease and tension. As a crew of the spaceship, Nostromo investigates a distress signal on a remote planet. The crew explores the dark planet and they discover a terrifying, seemingly unstoppable creature that begins to hunt them down one by one. The creature design, created by artist H.R. Geiger, is both disturbing and mesmerizing with its biomechanical features and grotesque life cycle. The film's pacing is slow and deliberate, allowing the suspense to build gradually and making each encounter with a creature all more terrifying. As the characters are well-developed and believable, with Reavers Ripley emerging as a feminist icon and a role model for female protagonists in action films. The film's score by Jerry Goldsmith is haunting and atmospheric, adding to the sense of dread and unease that permeates the entire film. In my opinion, Alien is a timeless classic that remains as powerful and effective today as it was upon its release over four decades ago. It is a must-see for fans of science fiction, horror, and movies in general. And with that, I give it 4.75 fucks. All right. So with 4.75 fucks from myself, 4.75 fucks from the comic book guy, and 3.75 fucks from the professor, that gives Alien an average of 4.4 fucks, which ties it in the number six spot with Ocean's Eleven. It is slightly better than Shang-Chi, The Crow, The Road Warrior, The Matrix, and slightly worse than Snatch, (laughs) John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, Black Panther, and Pulp Fiction. So there you have it. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. And speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Well, they can always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post show notes, we post movie trivia, and we now post blogs that are related to whatever movies we are reviewing. So please check that out. You can also find us at all social media, as well as anywhere a host podcasts. 
I just want to thank Jill for coming on and suggesting Alien. Did you have a good time? I did. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. You are always welcome here, and you have a seat at the table. I also want to thank Zach and Ronnie for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. You keep listening. We'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. I'm Jill. In space, no one can hear you scream. I can't lie to you about your choices, but you have my sympathies. You said choices. You don't like it, did you? No, it works if you hadn't fucked it up, but it works. What do you mean if I hadn't fucked it up? You're not going to hear it like that. Do you even listen to the fucking podcast? And joining us again for her fourth time here on the fourth. <laughs> I don't want to get around you guys. Now we have to start the whole thing over. Welcome back. You are listening to <laughs> three guys in a flip. Now that Kane's gone. I already said Kane. Um, there's actually two people in this movie that were in Lord of the Rings. Do you know the second? I'm thinking. It, he technically wasn't in the live action movie. Oh, well, then it doesn't fucking it doesn't, it doesn't count. count. With love in no. my heart. It well, she got cloned. That's oh. exactly what I was going to say next. Oh, you guys She got both. cloned. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Resurrection? Really? All right. I'm, I'm done with you I guys. I noticed. Four, three guys in a flick. I'm done. I'm not done. Do you have a porn name for this one? For alien? Uh, analin. That's exactly where what? I was going. Mic drop. What about you, Professor? What you got? <laughs> a, a steel cold stare right through my soul all right fuck off good night